download from my beautiful bride about how amazing Pastor John Heinrichs preached this morning. Just tow it up. And then, you know, uh, Pastor David, Friday night or Saturday night, Friday night, um, Matt and Loren, Thursday night, and just just the, the rising team. And I just, I just kind of felt like the Holy Ghost say, you know, you've never really taught on that. So tonight I don't want to talk about uh, on the Awaken thing, but I want to talk about Awaken Connect. Awaken Connect. So I want you to come with me. I'm going to give you four scriptures, four scriptures, write these ones down. And, uh, and then from there, I, I just kind of want to, I just kind of feel led of the Lord to kind of throw, uh, try and pull this together for you. So 1 Samuel chapter 22 is where we're going to start. 1 Samuel 22. Everyone say connect. Can I just tell you, your connection, your connection can, can determine your destiny. Your connection definitely de- de- determines your direction. But even more than that, your connection determines your destination. Your connection. You know, we got on the plane to fly and they said, if, if your final destination is not LaGuardia International Airport in New York, you're on the wrong plane. You want to get off this plane and you want to get on another plane. This is while we were in uh, Chicago, Geordie and I flying this week to New York City. We ha- that was our connection. Our connection was from O'Hare Airport International to LaGuardia. And so you, you, you can be, if you're on the wrong connection, if you, if you don't have a connection, you ain't going nowhere. And if you've got the wrong connection, you're going to be, end up in the wrong place. Come on, somebody. But if you've got the right connection, you're going to end up in the right destination. So come with me. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Yell out when you're there. 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 2 says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is where uh, Saul is hunting David like a dog to, with his finest assassins to try and kill David. And uh, so David ends up in the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Everyone say 400 men. About 400 men with him. All right, now come with me to, to one, 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Just a couple of books over. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. says, now these were the heads of David's mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jashabim, the son of Ahachmanite. It was probably Scottish with a name like Ahachmanite. Chief of the captains, he lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them at one time, but not with one blow. It was a several, it was several blows in there. He killed them all, 300 against one. Here's a beast of a man. All right, now come with me. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag, which is where the cave of Adullam was, while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and in the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. Now, let me just kind of take a pause here before I give you the last scripture. So just so you, 
you get the picture here, David kills Goliath. This should be a good day. That should be a great day. In any kingdom, when you have a fierce opponent who is taunting, who is threatening to bring the entire kingdom into bondage, and here is this guy, David, comes running up, and he kills Goliath, takes his head off, carries his head. That should be a good day. The problem is Saul has David come up into the kingdom, loves Saul, but then the next day when he gets up and turns on the radio, the first song that he hears on the radio is a brand new hit written by the young maidens of Israel. And the the title of the song is Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And the Bible says Saul, when he heard this, gets all indignant and says to himself, they've only ascribed to me thousands and to David tens of thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul Saul eyed him suspiciously from that day forward. And then the next verse says, and a distressing spirit came on Saul. If you want a distressing spirit to come upon you, have a hard time with success coming around about you. Have a difficult time seeing the blessing of God released on other people's lives. It was Cain that lured his brother Abel out into the field and killed him because he was so envious of the blessing of God that was on Abel that he didn't have himself. And rather than him doing right, it was far easier to tear down somebody else who was doing right. That spirit's still in the world today. You know, and God said to, to Cain, you know, why are you, why are you so discontent? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do not do, if you do not do right, Will you not be blessed? Do what's right, you'll be blessed. But rather than do what's right, he decides rather he's going to tear down and kill what is making him look bad, namely his brother Abel. That spirit is kind of in, in, in the world today and tragically has crept into church. Here, King Saul is so threatened. David is anointed by God to be the next king. Saul could have shaped him, taught him, mentored him, tutored him, you know, coached him in in the various aspects of Saul could have gone down in history as one of the greatest mentors leading David. Instead, out of bitterness, out of envy, out of jealousy, out of insecurity, David is driven from the kingdom. And when he's driven from the kingdom, he goes and hides into a cave. But it's very interesting because a distressing spirit lives on Saul. That's why Jesus says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We ought, to, we ought to thank God when someone else is being blessed. We ought to thank God. Don't look with an eye of envy. Don't look with an eye of jealousy because God may just be testing to see what's in your heart. Well, how come they're up on the stage? How come they're in the spotlight right now? How come when's my turn? And I'm telling you, that's a, that's a, that, you know, that's a testing moment. And what you got to do is you got to say, no, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to bless God. I'm going to thank God because I know that if I will do that, I'll have a right spirit and then my time will come. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for him whose heart is loyal, not whose words, whose heart is loyal, not whose action, whose heart is loyal. The Bible says that every way seems right to a man, but the Lord weighs the heart, so literally tests the heart. And so God is looking at heart. And so here are these men. They come from the tribe of Benjamin, which is Saul's tribe. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. These are his brethren, but because of that distress, because of that 
insecurity, all the greatness in his kingdom is leaving him. He is hemorrhaging greatness. He is bleeding great men. He is bleeding warriors. They're coming down to David. They're coming down in debt, in despair, in discontentment. They're coming down broken and busted up. But as they gather around David, all of a sudden they begin to rise. We, we see them just a couple of chapters later that these become a great army. 400 men become his 400 men army. And then it goes through and it begins to talk about the chief, the 30. And, you know, one of the guys, Jashabim, who kills, lifts his spear and kills 300 guys in one day. Another guy, Benaiah, falls into a pit and kills a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Just one time he fought two lion-like heroes of Moab and he slaughtered them. He killed an Egyptian who was nine feet tall and he didn't even have a spear in his hand, but he wrested the Egyptian spear off him and killed him with his own spear. I love these guys. You talk about action movies and you talk to people and go, I don't read the Bible because it's boring. What Bible are you reading for crying out loud? The Quran, the Book of Mormon, the Bible is flipping brilliant. It's an actual adventure book. Are you kidding me? The Bible is brilliant. But everyone say connection. Had they not have connected with David, what they did in their debt, what they did in their despair, what they did in their discontentment was really important. Because what most people do when they're discontent is they retract. What most people do when they're discontent is they disconnect. And then they make no bones about it. You will connect with somebody. You will connect with somebody. Usually people in debt, despair, and discontentment will connect with people of a like spirit. They'll look for the lowest common denominator to have somebody that can have an affinity with what they're going through. Yeah, we left that church too. Are always talking about money. Always talking about tithing. I don't think we should tithe. I think we should just be generous. It's amazing. We, we, you know, we had someone say, I don't believe in giving 10%. You know, the, the, that's law. We should, you know, we should, go, in the New Testament, you give everything. We give everything. And they gave so much less. I've never seen somebody who objects to the 10% saying, oh, that's under the law. We should, we should give everything. Actually give more than 10 The fact that you're complaining tells me you've got a problem with 10 Don't kid yourself that you're going to give. But, it's, but, but they'll find each other and, you know, oh, that church, they expect you to serve. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, I apologize. Who does God think that he is? You know, some potentate sitting on a throne that we should all serve him. Hello. You've got like some God, you know, trip. He's, no, no, he is God. He is worthy to be worshipped. Let me tell you if, you, if you don't get it now, the day will come where you're standing in heaven and more people than the stand on the seashore standing, waving branches, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And you'll have one of those Homer Simpson moments where you realize, why didn't I? This is the only time you can actually do something for God. When we get to heaven, he doesn't need anything done for him in heaven. In heaven, he's got everything. But right here, you and I are thrust in the midst of a battle. There are, there are lines that have been drawn. There are people tottering on the edge of heaven and hell. There are people who the devil is trying to deceive. The devil is trying to destroy. The devil is trying to drag to a lost eternity. And right here, right now, we can turn. We can draw a line in the sand and we can say, devil, not on my watch, Bob. I'm going to resist you. I'm going to bind you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to witness. I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to buy 
twisted tickets and invite people to twist it. I'm going to do everything I can. I believe that he is worthy of our worship. Come on, somebody. But it's amazing if you get with the wrong people who you connect with. Now, come with me to last scripture. Last scripture, Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 11. I know I should have preached something a little more kind of shouty and preachery and fun, a little lighter. But this will be good for you. Judges chapter 11. Verse 1, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. He was the son of a hooker. He was the son of a prostitute. He was the son of an indiscretion that his father had. He was the son of an affair. He was the son of his father's immorality. He was the product of of a mistake that his father had made and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and he dwelt in the land of Tob. Tob means good and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So here's this guy, Jephthah, who's the son of a harlot. Now here's the deal. He's driven out from his brothers because they say, you're the son of another woman like he had something to do with it. How many people know that you did not have a choice how you came into the world? You didn't have a choice over your hair color, your eye color, your skin color. You didn't have a choice of which nation you were born in. You didn't have a choice on which family, which genetics you inherited. You didn't have a choice on your last name. You, you, didn't have a, you had no choice who your parents were, who your brothers, who your sisters were. You just arrived. We live in such an age of dysfunction, such an age of brokenness. But because of this dysfunction, because of, of his background, he is made to feel worthless. He's the son of another woman. He's the son of a harlot and they said you will have no inheritance as far as your future goes there is no financial reward or financial blessing and the Bible says that Gilead Jephthah's dad does not say anything he, he is he is silent he is silent because he's overcome with guilt and he lets his brothers determine the level of volume he lets his brothers determine the conversation he lets his brothers dictate the terms in the environment of the home it is a father's job to create the environment in the home an environment that is honor, an environment that builds up, an environment where, that is nurturing, an environment where there's uh, affection between sibling, an environment that, you know, where the mother is. But, but, but the father is so overcome with his indiscretion, with his sin, with, with, with the fling, with the hooker that ends up in this little boy. He brings him into the home, but it's very obvious that the, the mother is still probably very bitter with him. Maybe she was the one who told the other brothers, but there's rivalry, there's strife, there's disunity in the home. Because of that, Jephthah feels worthless because he feels worthless see in this life I believe in the law of attraction but I believe that you know the things like the secret are a load of hogwash but there is a law of attraction it's not that you get to you what you want or what you positively think about or whatever you ask the universe Mr. Universe 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 I don't believe that I believe the law of attraction works this way you don't get to you what you want you attract to you what you are 
And because Jephthah feels worthless, he attracts to himself worthless men. That's why I love Christianity, because Christianity is the only religion. Every other religion on this planet seeks to attack the outside, seeks to attack the external. It'll maybe mess with the mind a little bit, but it seeks to go after the external. You've got to dress this way. You've got to wear this. You've got to do. But only Christianity goes after the heart. Only God goes after changing you from the inside. Because the only way you're going to get long-lasting relief, the only way you're going to get long-lasting breakthrough, the only way your life is going to change is God has to change you at the core so you stop attracting worthless and you start attracting prices. So you stop attracting dysfunction and you start attracting function. So you stop attracting curse and you start attracting blessing. God comes and He changes you from the inside out. And immediately people go, man, ever since I gave my life to Christ. It's just incredible. Man, I've been following Christ for 28 years. I would not be here. I would not be anywhere near here today. Same person, same gift, same personality, same hair color, same eyes, same everything, but I would not be here had Christ not come because of everything that was on the inside of me that was attracting to me the things that would destroy my life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Connection. So the first connection is a connection with God. You've got to make a connection with God. You've got to let God have your heart. You've got to let God have your life. How much of your life does God have? A little while ago, I was telling the story about when I was first saved. And and, uh, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I remember, you know, I was out on a Friday night and I was doing street evangelism. And and as I'm doing street evangelism, I look over and some of the guys from, from church a staggering out of a nightclub, drunk. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And one of the guys got, got a little bit you know, upset. It felt a little bit guilty because I'm kind of bailing him out. What are you doing? You're drunk. You're meant to be a Christian. He goes, oh, it's all right for you. I said, oh, what do you mean? He goes, it's all right for you. God answers your prayers. God does nothing in my life, nothing. Oh. He goes, if, I, if God did half the stuff in my life like he does in yours, I'd be as full on as you, Jürgen. But God does nothing in my life. That's why, that's why I'm going out boozing. That's why I'm living a compromised life. I remember driving home going, God, how come you do stuff in my life? You don't do stuff in his life. God, don't you want him to be full on? Don't you want him to be sold out? Don't you want him to be on fire? God, I don't, I don't get it. Why don't you do stuff in his life like you do in my life? And God said, Yerkes, do you know why I can do so much in your life but hardly do anything in his life? I said, no, why? He said, Yerkes, you've given me all of your life to work in so I can do a lot of stuff. He says, but your friend, he's only given me the tiniest little sliver of his life and I can't do a whole lot in there. How much of your life does God have? How much of your heart does God have? You want to see God do awesome stuff? Give God more of your life. Whatever we hold back from God, we hold back to our detriment. We hold back from the hand of blessing. He is a good God. But the second area of connection, this is the the area that I I want to talk about, is connecting to the right people, connecting to godly people. Stand up, Drew. This is Drew. Stand up, Emma. This is his beautiful wife, Emma. I'm telling you, God sent these guys from Australia because they are two of the greatest connecting people on the planet. 
They are phenomenal ministers. They are phenomenal people. And they are, well, Drew anyway is our Connect Pastor. And um, beautiful Emma helps us with assimilation and new Christians and, uh, you know, visitors. And they're just awesome. They're like the dynamic duo. I said to Drew, you're like Batman and Robin. He says, no, Lone Ranger and Tonto. And, uh, I, you know, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess with it. Whatever, whatever, the, however it ro- rolls at their home, that's how it is. So don't ju- just don't judge them. Okay, don't think any less. But, but their, their assignment, their job is to help people get connected. Do you know, it's amazing. If you look at the statistics, people that get connected stick. People that get connected flourish in the things of God. People that don't get connected it's very easy to fall away. Do you know a wolf never attacks the pack? A wolf always looks for the sheep that is straggling, the sheep that is isolated, the sheep that is separated, the sheep that is wandered off or by itself or whatever. That's the one that the wolf attacks. It's in our best interest to get connected. Get connected. We have, we have a you know, four-step process that, 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 you know, because we're called to make disciples. The first one is connect. The second one is grow. The next one is serve and then lead. It's just, it's four very simple things. But the first thing you've got to get connected, get connected to God and then connected to godly people. Get connected to godly people. Even the world has figured out that connection works better. Did you know that? The world has figured this out. That's why we have time Warner connection. We have uh, um, 20th century Fox. It, they, they understand that, that, that you know, 20th century was were doing great, Fox were doing great, but together they could do so much more. The Bible says one sets flight to a thousand, two, ten thousand. There's a multiplying effect. We see mergers all the time. I fly with United. United has merged with Continental and everything's gone to another level. The planes have gone to another level. The app's gone to another level. The service has gone to another level because there's something powerful when you make a merger, when you make a right connection. That God, God has got connections for you that, that release what is in you. Can I just tell you this, that, that God wants to bring you into a relationship, bring you into a connection with, 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 with the right people, with godly people, and they will bring out of you who you are. You know, Jesus came to the disciples and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These were, you know, I reckon 12 just fairly ordinary folks who are already in relational connection with other people. And Jesus says, you know what? That is awesome. Stay in relationship with them, but just come up to another level. Come into connection with me. Come and align yourself with me, and I will make you fishers of men. Had they not connected to him, I don't know what would have become of them. We certainly wouldn't be re- They certainly wouldn't have turned the world upside down. But because of their connection to Christ, because of their being mentored and discipled by Christ, they went to a whole nother level. Elisha was... was working and was a successful man but because Elijah came and threw his mantle on him Elisha left everything and he follows Elijah and he becomes a prophet that does twice the miracles that Elijah did because of connection can I just tell you there there are men and women in your world that God has positioned to bring the greatness of God out of you to bring the great gift to develop God works through other people God works through there are frames of reference Moses was in the back blocks of the desert but it wasn't that he'd married Jethro's daughter and he was a priest in Midian and because he was now the, the, the son-in-law of a priest and the Midianites were, were even though that they were not the Israelites the Midianites were the one tribe out of all the nations who still worshipped the one true God Yahweh they were the only nation of all what they would call the pagan nations who worshipped the one true God and, and Moses in the back blocks of the desert God has an assignment God has an alignment God has a connection with him so that every 
everything that's on the in him doesn't waste away. He's called to be a deliverer. He's tried that in his own hand, but he murdered a guy. Now he's fled. But God makes sure that there's a man in the wilderness who walks with the one true God who's going to bring that connection and he leads his fathership while he's in his father's house being faithful with his father's flock. He leads him to the back blocks of the desert and God speaks to him from a burning bush and he comes out of there and he becomes the greatest deliverer. It's his connection. Had he not been with his with Jethro, he would have not been looking after sheep. He would have not been in, in that place and he would not have got that call. Can I just tell you, God wants to bring you into godly alignments. He wants to bring you into godly connections. Who are you getting connected with? Because the people that you get connected with are going to shape your destiny. Can somebody say amen? One of my favorite Bible stories is in Daniel chapter 3 about Shadrach, Rufrak, and Bulbar. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three amigos. Right? The three amigos. I love these guys. Because the king Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, and, uh, and he says, see that statue? You're all going to bow down and worship it. These guys are, uh-uh, we ain't bowing. Now, if there was just one of them, he probably would have bowed. But there was three of them. And a threefold cord, the Bible says, isn't quickly broken. How do they stand? How do they stand? They stood because they stood together. We stand together because divided we fall. So they stood together. And when the threats came and the furnace was heated seven times hotter, if one of their knees began to buckle, he looked, oh, that furnace looks hot. And yeah, as, as, as they looked, one of them said, dude, don't do it, don't do it, man. Don't do it, man. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it. The three of them together. Your friendships, your connections, your relate. Don't let the devil tell you you can do life on your own. Don't let the devil tell you that all you need is God. Oh, brother, no, no, I, I don't need other Christians. All I need is the Lord. Do you know it was the Lord who actually is contradicting you? <laughs> really? How's that? Because the first thing that God said wasn't good was for man to be alone. But man wasn't alone. He had God. I don't know if I want to hear that. Well, let me just say it again. Adam wasn't alone. He had God. The Bible says he walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam had God. And God said, you know what? Yeah, this ain't good. It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will make a helper suitable, comparable to him. And God made fellowship. God made another human being for him to have connection. Jesus didn't just die for this. He also died for this. He also died so that you could have connection. Do you realize that, that in other people are fragments of your destiny? They lie in other people. You can't, you can't fulfill it on your own. Well, I, you know, I, I believe I'm a little bit of a maverick, really. I'm a little bit a lone ranger. The lone ranger had Tonto. All right, then, that's a bad illustration. I'm not a lone ranger, but I just, you know, I like, you know, Bing Crosby. I did it my way. That's how I kind of roll through life. Can I just tell you, that's not how it works because the Bible calls us a body. The Bible calls us a body. Now, I've got a pretty awesome spleen. Don't be jealous. Don't envy. Come on, don't you be coveting my spleen. But, you know, my spleen works best on the inside of me. I know this is going to sound crazy. Why does that guy a biological genius? <laughs> Possibly. But if I was to take my spleen out and just kind of leave it on the platform here while I preach, neither the spleen or me are going to live for a whole lot longer. If I was to take my liver out and just come, I'm just going to leave my liver over there. See, it's made, it's br as brilliant as my liver is, and it's a pretty darn good liver. Served me well all these years, especially through my, anyway. And uh, if I take that liver and I leave it on the outside of me, 
the liver's going to die and it's not going to do me too good. That liver works best when it's on the inside of me. Now, if my hand goes, oh, yeah, can you do this liver? Look at this. Dexterity. Oh, yeah. It's an opposable thumb. We can pick stuff up. Can you pick stuff up, Mr. Liver? No, you can't. Oh, yeah, because, you know, we're so important. And sometimes we can look at the hat. Wow, that is, so Im- that is so impressive, liver. You need to get your act together. You need to go to a class to learn how to become dexterity functional. <laughs> but, you know, my hand can't cleanse my system like my liver does. Liver's the... F- now, you may have a different gifting. You may have it, but, but it only works properly in the body. The devil knows if he can pull you out of the body, if he can just isolate you from the body, both you suffer and the body suffers. We're called to be in connection. Come on, somebody. We work well in connection. We work well in alignment. Can somebody say amen? Oh, my gosh. Oh, shnikey, shnike. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I've got to come to a close. Last thought. Give me one more thought. Last thought. Oh, I was going to preach on Samwise Ganji, but I can't. Just because Hammer hates the Lord of the Rings. I just love how, how honest he is with his confession of his sin. You know a man has got a, is in a backslidden state when he doesn't even like Lord of the Rings. But how awesome is God's grace? While sin abounds, his grace abounds even more because Hammer still is going to go to heaven. Obviously, he has a seat right up the back with the, you know, the other one or two people that don't like Lord of the Rings. What's that? Oh, there's only one other. Just one other person that doesn't like Lord of the Rings. But in Lord of the Rings, one of my heroes is Samwise Gamgee. Frodo was successful because of Sam's connection. I mean, man, I'm telling you. You know, there's a season. There's a season in every man's journey, in every woman's journey, where God will call you to be a Jonathan. Well, God will call you to be a Sam. Well, God will call you toward another man. Do you know, the Bible says Elisha, his reputation before he became this powerhouse minister, was this, is this not Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who pours water on the hands of Elijah? All he did was poured water on Elijah's hands. He poured water on, that was, that, that was his reputation. He was the water boy. Hey, water boy. Thank you. That was, but when Elijah was taken up, the mantle fell. There was the school of the prophets. Oh, they were prophesying. Do you not realize that the Lord this day is taking your master from over you? <laughs> we don't like to brag, but we've been praying. Oh, yeah. We're the school of the prophets. Pretty impressive, huh? But when the mantle fell, it didn't fall to any of the school of the prophets. They were educated. They were trained in the prophetic. But God didn't give the mantle to them. Because it's not about being educated and being trained. It's about being aligned and being connected. And Elisha had been faithful. Elisha had been aligned. I love my team. I have an awesome team. I have a team of Samwise Gamgees. Samwise Gamgee, even when he's offended, even when he's upset and falsely accused, you know, sent down the mountain. And Frodo aligns himself. Come on, connection. Aligns himself with, with Schmeagel. Who's made a deal with the Shelob, the giant spider? Mm, she wants fresh meat. Yes, yes. Mm, this way, this way. And, and you know, Schmeagol, Schmeagol. This way, we take the bread.
generations. Yeah, yes, we take you and we kill you. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so wrong connection. Wrong Frodo, wrong connection. Not good. Not good. Never follow a man with googly eyes wearing a loincloth <laughs> who talks to himself. Not, just, just want to throw it out there. There might be a word for somebody here tonight. I was following a guy with googly eyes and a loincloth. I thought, hey, something's not right. Something's not right. Don't follow him. But I like Sam because Sam turns around and he comes out. He doesn't just kind of, he takes, he fights a giant. Have you seen that thing? It looks like a funnel web. It's a, and we, we have the most dangerous spider in the world in Australia. It's called a funnel web. Crocodile Dundee says the funnel web is so dangerous it can kill a man just by looking at him. It's not quite that dangerous. But anyway, it, it, and, and, and the, but he fights it with a sword. He fights this giant spy and knocks him down and he stabs in. And he fight, and then he, Frodo's body's not there. The orc's carried away. So then, you know, little, 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 little Samwise Gamgee fights the orcs, you know, takes the orcs. And then, you know, they, and then there's Mr. Frodo. And Mr. Frodo's like, Sam, oh, oh, I lost the ring. No, you didn't, Mr. Frodo. I'm carrying it. But here, I can't carry the ring. You got to carry the ring. Oh, Sam, you came back. You came back. I might not be able to carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can certainly carry you. I'm sitting in the cinema crying, I want it, Sam. I love that guy. I want it, Sam. Hey, he's awesome. There are seasons in your life where God will put you in alignment to watch you. Can you just pour water on? Is it about your reputation, about your ministry? Your time will come dependent upon how faithful. But for some people, for some people, you're just a Joseph. And you're not just a Joseph. Joseph's dream came to pass. If you asked him, how is it, man, I'm living my dream. But he was still number two. He wasn't number one. Pharaoh was number one. But he was content to be a number one, number two. He was content to be a number one, number two. All his life was interpreting other people's dreams and other people's dreams. Other, and it led to greatness. Connection. Connection. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I just thank you in this place. There are people here tonight and you're in a wrong connection. But God wants to bring you into a right connection. It begins with your relationship with God. It's not your, connect, your connection or, you know, to, to a church or to a denomination. It's your connection to God. And the only way we can connect with God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.